Yeah, so if you weren't here last week, that's what I preached about, all right? That's just kind of a a summary of what we talked about together. But uh, the truth is, I mean, the message of that song is that it all belongs to him. And that's good news if you're in Christ. Uh, Because if you're in Christ, it's a reminder to us that not only is our creator, but he's our provider too. He he is a good father uh, who loves to provide for his children. But here's a challenge. Here's a challenge that we so often run into in our lives. I mean, the challenge is that we go looking to other things uh, to do for us what only God can really do. Uh, We go look into things like money to provide security. We go look into things like money to provide significance and satisfaction for us. I mean, when we when we put our our faith in these things, when we put our faith in something like money to deliver in these areas, what we find ourselves in uh, typically over time is we find ourselves in bondage to it. Uh, We find ourselves serving it. And the fact is that you and I, we were created to serve uh, one master. Uh, We were created to serve one God. And that's the God who sent Jesus Christ to this earth uh, to set us free uh, from things like sin and to set us free uh, from financial bondage too. Last week we shared this truth, if you weren't here with us, uh, that when it comes to money, it's not mine at all. Uh, If you're in Christ and if you're taking notes with us today and you're following along, here's the truth we covered last week, that all we have, uh, everything that we have comes from the hand of a loving God. See, the truth for us is that it all belongs to him. And so what I have has been given uh, to me. And so uh, the question then that I want to ask today is this one. I mean, if it all belongs to him, I mean, if we see him as the creator, if we really believe that he is the provider of all good things, well, is it fair to assume that, well, then he has some level of expectation uh, of us when it comes to the way that we handle and manage something like our money? It's kind of like when my wife uh, hands me a $20 bill and sends me to the grocery store with some very specific instructions. She'll say, we need some eggs, we need some bread, and we need some milk. Um, I know when she gives me specific instructions like that, it means go to the grocery store, get these three things, all right, and because we live on the Dave Ramsey financial plan, that you're going to have some change when you come back too, and I'm expecting to see that change. Well, God's word shows us that there is a way to manage uh, our money. There, there's a way to manage the money we've been provided. And next week, uh, Ben's going to be here. He's teaching over at our Carmel campus this morning, but he's going to be here and he's going to talk about how this applies to everyday living and how things like spending and how we see our resources and what this all means, you know, when we're living in God's kingdom, when we're living in light of it. But today, uh, this morning, I want to talk to you about giving and I want to talk to you about generosity. I want to say right off the top that when it comes uh, to our giving, uh, when it comes to our generosity, that this is something that and not in any way is it to, to flow out of our guilt or to flow out of, out of our obligation, but God wants our giving to flow out of our faith and our love and our trust in him. And uh, there's a truth that I want to share with you this morning, something I've been praying about this week and hoping that uh, we can understand together, and it's this one, that, that generosity... Uh, is an opportunity to share in God's happiness. Generosity is really an opportunity. It's like an invitation that we've been given to share in God's happiness. And the truth of that comes right out of Matthew uh, chapter 25, verse 14. Uh, Jesus was teaching a parable to a group of people, and what he did in this parable is he described a master uh, who entrusted to his three servants uh, his wealth, some level of money. And uh, he taught, he described to one servant, this master gave five bags of gold. To another servant, he gave two bags of gold. And to a third servant, uh, one bag of gold. And the master's hope was that each person uh, would view their provision uh, not only as a gift from God, but also resources to be used and invested in things that would ultimately please 
the master. Well, the master left and went on a journey. Time passed, and when the master returned, he discovered that the the person who had been given five bags of gold had multiplied those five bags into ten bags. Uh, The servant who had been given two bags of gold multiplied his gifts into four, and to each of these servants, Jesus described the master's response was simply, hey, you've managed these resources well, this money well. You've lived as I have instructed you. And then the master says to them, In this particular parable, Jesus says, come and share in my happiness. Because you've done well, because you've lived obediently, come share in my happiness. See, generosity is an opportunity to share in God's happiness. Uh, And certainly that has a lot to do with eternal rewards that are waiting for us one day, but I believe it's also in the present too. I believe it's an invitation to share the joy of our creator, uh, to see things, to see the world as he sees things, uh, to experience significance in our lives. And so while these two men were faithful and obedient with their resources, Jesus describes a third, the man who had been given one bag. And the text says that he went off, dug a hole, and hid the master's money, basically a symbol that he was keeping it for himself, that he had his own selfish ambitions in mind. And the master's reply to him was rather harsh. The reply was, you wicked and lazy servant. We're going to talk about giving and generosity today, and I just want to say up front that um, no one ever taught me this uh, growing up. Uh, This is something that Jenny and I have had to learn together uh, in our life together, and I'm so thankful that we have, and so we're learning even today what it means to to give financially and to share in God's happiness and to trust Him in all things. And I want to say, too, that I know that whenever we talk about something like giving and generosity, that it's a sticky subject for some people. And for so many different reasons, and uh, you need to know that this topic of generosity is an extremely uh, important one. It's probably one that we really should talk about more than we do. But because I care about it, and because I know that many of you care about it too, and because God's word cares about it, we're going to talk about it as a church. We're going to talk about what it means to grow in this area. And so today, what I want to do is I want to look at God's word together, and we believe that if we're in Christ, that God's word ought to be our authority for how we live our lives. I want to look with you today to just better understand what God desires for us when it comes to this area of giving and generosity. And I got a lot to give you today, all right? And so I'm just kind of warning you up front. I'll probably talk a little faster uh, than I normally do, but I hope you'll write some of these verses down and maybe come back to them uh, throughout the week. But let's start in uh, Proverbs chapter 11. Uh, If you want to turn there, I want to give you four life-changing principles uh, about generosity today. And we're going to start, and again, in Proverbs 11, the the, the first life-changing principle is just simply this, that generosity, we see in Scripture, generosity leads to abundance. Now, I know that we can be generous in a number of ways, and I just want to be clear that when we talk about giving and generosity today, we're talking about financial giving. And what we're going to see here in Proverbs is that God's word shows us that our generosity leads to abundance. Uh, Let's pick it up in uh, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24. Uh, The wise man Solomon, King Solomon is sharing here, and he describes uh, two people. He says, one person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. Now, Solomon is sharing some wisdom here. He's sharing sharing some lessons that he's learned from life. And he describes two people, uh, at least two people, when it comes to the way we view our money and possessions. The first one we'll just simply call the giver. Uh, It's the one in this particular verse who gives freely. This is the person who shares. This is the person who gives generously. Uh, These are people who just kind of see themselves as a conduit 
it uh, for greater things like the two faithful men in the parable. You could kind of call them the Rajan Rondo uh, of generosity here. All right, if you're an NBA fan, he's the current assist leader in the NBA. But uh, these people are all about getting the ball in other people's hands. These people are all about keeping the ball in play. And so Solomon describes this giver, all right, someone who is very giving, somebody who is very generous. Now, if you follow those same basketball analogies, there's also a second person. We could call them the ball hog, right? And uh, this is the one who Solomon says withholds. Uh, This is the person that when it comes to generosity, they're a dead end. It's when it comes to money, it's like it's all mine. I mean, it's just something they cling to with everything they have. It's Kind of like this picture maybe you saw in the media this past week of the sloth in South America that was just found gripping uh, this post on the side of a very busy highway here. Here's what Solomon's getting at. Common sense would indicate that those who give freely would have less to live off of, right? And that those who withhold, who store up for themselves would have more. I mean, it's simple math if, if you do the math yourself, but Solomon says no. He says, I've lived some days. I've seen some things with my life. I've observed how people live. And what I've discovered is really quite the opposite, that the one who gives generously ends up with so much more in return. And it's the ball hog who ends up with less. Here's the question that I have for you today, that when it comes to your money, when it comes to your possessions, what position do you play? How do you view these things? I mean, are you, are you someone who is seeking to, to give freely? Are you uh, practicing? Are you trusting? Are you making attempts to grow in this area of generosity? Or are you like the second guy, the one who withholds? Solomon continues in verse 25. He says, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Solomon says the one who is generous will will prosper. That means uh, to grow. That means to gain. That means to to be blessed. Now, the word prosper gets a really bad rap in the church, all right? It's been abused for all sorts of different reasons, and it's unfortunate because it's a biblical word. But maybe a better word for us today is the word abundance. And here's what I take from this. At least this is my perspective when it comes to these words here. I believe what Solomon is saying, I I believe that what God promises for us here is that if we choose a life of faith, if we choose a life of generosity, there's a promise from God that he will bless us abundantly. And those blessings come in all shapes and sizes. There are certainly spiritual blessings and spiritual blessings in areas like contentment and greater faith. Um, I believe these blessings, these abundant blessings from God can involve more financial resources so that we can put these to greater use in the world. I, I believe those who give generously are going to have a better, better chance, kind of have a step up on seeing life differently, are going to better understand what it means to share in the joy and the happiness of God. I wonder how many of you here today would say that you want to enjoy everything that God has planned for you, all of his abundance for your life. The way you view and manage your money is going to impact the extent of that abundance. And uh, for you, for any of you here today that are already living this, you know this, man, you're experiencing this with your life. You're watching God work and provide in your life. And if you're not, maybe it's time for you to try it God's way, to commit your whole life, every part of your life, including your financial life, to God so that you can experience the joy and the freedom and the abundance that he wants to give to you. See, generosity leads to abundance. The second thing is this, that generosity begins with tithing. Uh, Turn to Malachi chapter three. It's the last book in your Old Testament. Uh, Malachi chapter three, a little context here. Malachi was a minor prophet uh, who prophesied 400 years before Christ. 
And uh, he prophesied at a time when people were very prideful and, and very self-centered. Not much different, really, when you think about it than today. Uh, and to top it off, these were God's people that Malachi was prophesying to. Well, what we find here right in the beginning of Malachi 3 is that God's upset. All right, he's had enough with this self-centered uh, sort of living. And so he's going to call out his people through the prophet Malachi. And here's his message to them in Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 6. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Why are they not destroyed? Because God doesn't change. Because he's good at his promises. Verse 7, ever, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and you not, you, you've not kept them. Meaning you, you go looking to other things. You choose your own path. Instead of looking to my word for guidance and direction, you're looking to all these different sorts of things. And then look at God's plea. He says, return to me. And I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. It's this, this plea to come back, all right, to, to follow me, to choose me, to, to see me as your provider. I think what God is saying, he's saying, I'm not looking for any part-time sort of followers here. I'm looking for absolute and complete devotion in all things. And so God says, return to me, and I'll return to you. And how are we to return? Basically, you can hear the people asking, what is it that we've done? Like, give us some sort of some specifics here of what we can do. And in verse 8, he does. He says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. Now, sometimes we hear those expressions in church, and maybe we uh, don't really understand what they mean. Just very simply, a tithe is a, a, a percentage. Uh, it's a mathematical term. The word tithe means tenth. Uh, or 10%. An offering, uh, I believe, is described in Scripture as anything that's given over and above uh, the tithe or the tenth. And let me just kind of help you understand what I believe is meant by tithing and how it pertains to us. A tithe describes the immediate gift of 10% of your income at the first opportunity. And here's how this worked in Scripture. Here's how this worked in the Old Testament, that when you were paid or when you uh, experienced your harvest, you had your harvest, the goal was to go to great lengths uh, to make sure you returned your tithe to the Lord as soon as possible or to return your tithe through the priest to the temple, whatever that may be. Uh, and, and the whole goal in Scripture was to make sure that you didn't get caught with the tithe in your home. In fact, you can read about this in Deuteronomy chapter 14, starting in verse uh, 22. Again, the intent of the tithe and giving it first was to make sure that the tithe was the first gift. It was the first gift that you made after getting paid. Now, I can hear even someone right there stopping and asking, well, wait a second, I thought it all belongs to God. Uh, and so why just a tenth? Well, it does all belong to God. And the tithe really is meant to serve as a symbol that we acknowledge that it all belongs to him, that it all comes to him or from him. And so that's a big reason. It's a big part of the reason why we give it first. Well, where does this concept of the tithe come from? Well, get this. The command to tithe comes right out of creation, extends through the Old Testament and the New Testament, and really on in today. And we see this evidence going all the way back to creation, this universal principle of tithing, as far back as the story of Cain and Abel. Uh, they each brought gifts to the Lord. And if you know the story, you know that Cain's gift was a simple gift, didn't cost him anything, and Abel's gift cost him something. There was a sacrifice excuse me, sacrifice uh, behind it. Uh, there's another example in Genesis chapter 14. Abraham and his servants were returning home from battle. And on their way home from battle, Abraham encountered Melchizedek, uh, or, uh, who is also known as the king of Salem or the priest of God. And scripture records that Abraham gave him a tenth. He gave him a tithe of everything that he had and gave 
praise to God. Now, this is the first mention of tithing that we find in Scripture. There's another example of that too, not too long after. Another example of tithing in Genesis 22, verse 28, where Jacob promised to give a tenth of all he had and received all of his property to God. Now, fast forward with me. Uh, 400 years after Abraham first gave the tithe, uh, God is giving his law to the people, and the, uh, the principle of the tithe was presented to them in Leviticus 27, uh, verse 30. God said, a tithe of everything from the land, uh, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is, it is holy to the Lord. In its context, uh, he was just simply laying out a way of managing, a lay, way of living when it comes to your money and your possessions. This was a way of setting up your household you know, and, and really viewing your resources. Uh, Solomon continued uh, in the same light in Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs chapter three, verse nine, when he said, honor the Lord with your wealth, uh, with the first fruits of all of your crops. Again, part of, again, demonstrating uh, that you believe that it all comes from the Lord is again, giving it first. Uh, giving it first is a way of demonstrating what we value most, that we value and we honor the Lord f- the most. Now that's Old Testament, But teaching on this continues on into the New Testament. I mean, Jesus commended the tithe. In Luke chapter 11, verse 42, when he said to the Pharisees, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth or a tithe of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. He says, you should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Now, some people want to say that tithing is so Old Testament that we're not required to live under it anymore, but I just want you to notice here that Jesus doesn't reject the tithe. He embraced it, and yet he's going to elevate it. He's going to elevate the expectation here. What Jesus did was to challenge people like you and me uh, to tithe, but he helped us understand that tithing isn't some finish line to generosity that really, when you think about it, it's a starting point for us uh, in generosity. Uh, You could say it like this. You could say that the tithe was the standard, the minimum standard in the Old Testament, but generosity becomes the new standard for us in the New Testament, and the Apostle Paul is going to expand on this too. I mean, he provides additional instruction for us uh, in regards to giving. Like in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, when he told the people to give their gifts on the Lord's Day, they were paid on the final day of the week, and so they would then give their gift first on the very next day, the Lord's Day, or in Romans 14, when he reminded the people that when you give your gift, like in our case, when you give your gift, you're not giving it to Genesis Church, you're returning your gift to the Lord because it all belongs to him. And there are so many more instructions on giving and generosity that we don't have time to look at today, uh, instructions that talk about how as your abundance increases, uh, your giving should increase, your generosity should increase along with it, and, and about how we should look for opportunities around us to give sacrificially. I mean, it was David who said, I will not sacrifice to the Lord a gift that costs me nothing. Uh, and so the truth is that I think for every single one of us, we all need to have some stories in our life where we said no to something we want for the sake of giving that gift uh, to someone else in need, to give that gift to the Lord and to his work. And as we'll see in just a moment, as I referenced just a moment ago, the Apostle Paul is the one that said to give cheerfully, uh, that there shouldn't be any sort of obligation to our giving. Now, I know I've just bombarded you in in a few minutes with a whole bunch of verses, and it raises a ton of questions that we can't tackle today. But let me just say this as practically as I can for you, especially if you're new to all this. I believe that everything that we have comes from the Lord. Not one cent of it can I claim. And here's what I believe that is God's best for my life and for maybe yours today is that when we look at, when you look at your monthly financial picture, 
the first 10% of what we earn should be returned to God through the church that you call your church, uh, that you're a part of, that, it, that our best practice would be that. That's the first give that we should make every single month. And I just really hold to this. I really believe what get Jesus was getting at is that our generosity really begins with the tithe, that, 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 that tithing, that 10% is not the finish line for us, but it really is the starting place of generosity. Let me just share with you briefly a little bit of my story. Again, as I mentioned, I don't remember having any specific instruction in this growing up, but when Jenny and I were married, we were a few years still living in Anderson, and then it was in the year 2000 that we went to Michigan to be a part of a church, and I went to be a pastor on staff there, and we hadn't been tithing. And because we were joining the staff of a church, we knew we can't hide any longer, all right? And so we had to just jump headfirst into giving and tithing. And I'm not going to lie to you, it was hard at first. I mean, to look at our income, to look at our budget, and all of a sudden decide, okay, we're going to take 10%, and we're going to make the very first that we give, gift we give, we're going to give that back to the church. It was hard for a while. I, I really struggled with it for a while, and we had to start saying no to some things. Can I just say this? 16 years later, we've been giving, we've been tithing. The very first gift we give every month is to Genesis Church. We've grown beyond 10%. We give more than that today to Genesis Church because we believe we're returning it to the Lord. We love what's happening here. We want to be a big part of what God is doing through Genesis. And over the years, God has really stretched us and grown us. And so not only do we give to Genesis, but we give over and above to different missionaries and mission work. We love doing those things. There are surprises that come up from time to time, things that we have to say no to on our end so that we can give to that surprise, we can give to that need that God has laid before us. I'd love to tell you more of my story. The fact of it is I have everything that I could ever possibly want or need. The Lord has abundantly blessed my wife and I and our family, and not because we're good, you know, or not because we've done anything to deserve it. We're just making every effort we can to trust him uh, with, with our finances. If we hadn't taken that first step to honor the Lord, then I, I don't know where we would be in our life today. Now, maybe one of the questions that you're asking is, uh, well, this just looks impossible to me right now to just make this plunge in, in, into giving. I want you to know that I've heard stories. There are stories of people here who have, have really tested God in this and just jumped all the way in and then have been blown away by his faithfulness and his provision. And so if that's where you are today, I just challenge you to pray about it. Ask the Lord what he wants you to do. Uh, if you're asking, you know, hey, my financial situation is a mess right now. I have no idea where to even begin in this. We've got a great class coming up in a few weeks uh, called Financial Peace University. We're going to have it here on Sunday nights at our, at our Noblesville campus, February the 21st. You can check out uh, more information on that through our app or through our website. That's a great step. That's been a great uh, opportunity that, that my wife and I have gone through. It's been a really big help, and we'll be leading that group again starting uh, February the 20, the 1st. Um, or what in, uh, if in regards to giving, what if your thought or your question is, or, or what if this, if this leaves a sour taste in your mouth right now, I just want to say you might not be ready, all right? And that's okay because here's the thing. God doesn't want you to give out of obligation, all right? He, he doesn't want you to give because you feel guilty in any way. It needs to be a step of faith. It needs to be a choice that you make, something that your heart or your family is ready for. But this life of giving, this life of, of generosity, I mean, it really is an invitation to trust him. It's an invitation into a life of freedom. And it's an opportunity to come share in the happiness of seeing life and seeing the world through the eyes of our creator. 
And so generosity begins uh, with tithing. But uh, here's the next thing. I I believe that generosity increases our faith. Here's what it can do for us, all right? And as you think about where you are right now in your present situation, generosity uh, increases uh, my faith. Again, Malachi chapter 3, verse 9. Malachi says to them, you are under a curse. Why? Because they haven't been giving. They haven't been trusting the Lord, especially with their finances. And so he says, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Now, I just want you to know that if you're in Christ Jesus today, you are no longer under a curse. All right? This doesn't pertain to New Testament believers anymore because Christ became the curse for us when he went to the cross and he reconciled that curse once and for all when he gave his life on the cross. But what should we do financially? What is he saying to these people and how we should live financially? Well, I believe what the Lord says to the people then. He means it for you and me as well. Verse 10, he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. So what should we do? He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That means the place that you worship, the church that you're a part of. And then what what does God say to those who might be afraid or anxious or skeptical? He says, test me in this. Now, here's something interesting about that. That that raises the question of can we really test God? All right, because I believe it was Jesus that that was the one that said, don't ever put the Lord your God to the test. And so what's the exception to that rule? If God says, you can put me to the test, that's the exception to the rule. We can put God to the test. And in this area of financial generosity, this is the case. This is the only place that I know of in Scripture where God challenges us to test him. And what's his heart behind this? I think it's God's way of saying he knows. I think it's God's way of saying, hey, I know how difficult this can be. He knows how quickly we become so dependent on our money, and because he wants to grow our faith, and because he wants to grow our trust and our dependence in him, he pleads for us. He pleads for us to put him to the test so that he can prove how faithful he really is. I mean, see it in the words. Read it for yourself here. I mean, can you just see him spurring on our faith? It's a test to trust him. It's a test to see how faithful he is. Generosity is something that will increase your faith, and as the Lord increases our faith, what he does is he increases our joy and he increases our love for him. Let me tell you a couple of stories about how generosity increases our faith. I, I, I have a friend who's a pastor and he was on a mission trip to Africa a little while back uh, working in a very poor village there, uh, working with a very poor church. And he described for me a Sunday morning worship experience that uh, he went and he attended with these people and uh, they were so joyful again, but he pointed out they had absolutely nothing. And uh, as the offering bag was being passed during this particular service, he, he felt the pressure to get into his pockets, to find his wallet, and to take everything that he had and to put it into this offering bag. Again, he, had, he knew that these people had nothing to give. Well, as the offering bag arrived in his hands, he described that moment when he looked down into the bag and saw an egg in there. And he said, in that moment, I was so overwhelmed with emotion at realizing that it was most likely given from a family that maybe it was their only egg of the day, but they were choosing to trust God. They were choosing to put their faith in him. And he just described how God used that moment to increase his faith 
and his own trust in the Lord. I've got another friend who talked about how he and his wife, uh, they had just one young child at the time and they had a a two-door car and and barely enough money to pay all of their bills and they made a decision as a family that they wanted to to honor the Lord by returning at least a tenth. They wanted to start tithing together and they knew that when you put all of the numbers down on paper, it didn't add up. And so they were really choosing to trust the Lord, but he described how every month God just provided for one need after another. And when they got pregnant with their second and realized that this little two-door car wasn't going to cut it with two kids and car seats in the back, they just started praying and they just started asking for God to provide. And they didn't have enough money for a different car, but they kept tithing and they kept praying and trusting God. And right before the baby was born, someone in their church gave them a four-door vehicle And God provided for their needs. And my friend said they kept that car forever. They drove it into the ground. They called it their Jesus car, you know, that God had provided. And they weren't going to let that go away. But God used that experience to increase their faith and their trust in him. Can you see the gift? Can you see how this step into faith and generosity really is a gift? How God God can use it all to increase our faith in him. And practice generosity in your life. And you'll not only see how God increases your faith, but you're going to share in his happiness in a whole new way too. And lastly, the last thing is that generosity is a personal decision. It's a personal choice. Uh, Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, Here, uh, the Apostle Paul is preparing uh, this church in Corinth, specifically this church in Achaia, part of the province of of Corinth. He's he's preparing them to give a financial gift uh, for some some great needs that were around the church at the time. And uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, picking it up in verse 6, he says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, again, we're not under a curse anymore. More, but the truth is that you reap what you sow, right? I mean, that, that, that kind of stands anywhere in life, regardless of what you think of, of God or anything. I mean, isn't it true that, again, with every aspect of life, I mean, it's, it's true in your work, it's true in your, with your diet, it's true in your marriage, uh, you reap what you sow. Well, the same is true when it comes to how you treat your finances. And here's what I think Paul's getting at here with the people. I, I think he's basically, and, and maybe politely saying to them, I mean, don't expect God to bless you financially if you don't trust and honor him financially. Or don't expect the same blessings that he promises to those who are generous. See, Christ came to set us free. But the reality is that freedom is right there waiting for you to take it. Like, you've got to take it. You've got to embrace it for yourself. You have to choose to receive it. Verse 7, he says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Again, Paul reminds us that we shouldn't give out of obligation. In fact, don't leave here today, all right, feeling some sense of obligation or, or out of guilt that you're going to start giving because if you do it for those reasons, then you've missed the point. You've missed the heart of what God's getting at for us. Again, this life of giving is a choice for you to make. I mean, God's not like some angry landlord, you know, waiting for you to pay him uh, what's due. He's not like the credit agency that calls from time to time, you know, saying that you're overdue. He's not like that. He loves you the way that you are, not that the way... Uh, you're supposed to be. He doesn't love you any more or less whether you're giving to him or not. Again, it's your choice. Paul describes generosity as a choice. You, you choose to give. You choose to start tithing. You choose to increase your giving this year. year. You, you see it as a way of honoring him, as an opportunity to grow your faith. It's an opportunity to say you trust him, not out of obligation. God loves a cheerful giver. And who are the cheerful givers? 
It's those who can say, you know what, we're sharing in the Lord's happiness. We're sharing in his joy. We're seeing what he sees. I'm gonna close with you uh, these words from Paul in the same selection here. And as he prepares the people for this gift, what he does next with these next verses is he's casting some vision for what God is going to do through their generosity. And uh, so I hope you'll, I, I pray that you'll hear this even personally for you today as you think about where you are. Picking it up in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, starting in verse 8, Paul writes, he says this, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, now he, this is God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Again, he's the owner. He's the provider of all things. He says, we'll also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. He says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. He says, verse 12, this service, this gift that you give, this step of faith that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks." Thanks to God because of the service by which you have proved yourselves. Others will praise God for, their, for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And then verse 14, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. See, the Apostle Paul, what he does here is he paints a picture of what has and what will result from the generosity of this particular church in Corinth. And what he says is he says, hey, lives are gonna be changed and already have. The basic needs of the poor and the hurting are gonna be met. And as that takes place, these people who are on the receiving end, what they're gonna do is they're gonna give praise and thanksgiving to God. And as for the people who are giving, as for the people in this church, he says, you know what? What God's going to do is he's going to provide for all of your needs and in abundance. And what you're going to do is you're going to turn and you're going to give praise and thanksgiving to God. And what happens is God witnesses it all and he gets all of the glory and all of the praise and his heart is full of joy and is full of happiness. In Genesis Church, here's what I pray and here's what I hope you will realize too. And the difference your generosity is making locally and around the world today is that lives right now are being changed. The needs of the poor and the hurting are being met. And as people are being provided for daily here locally and in Indy and in places like Haiti, what they're doing is they're giving praise to God. And for you and for us, as you're giving, as we're giving together, what God does is he keeps providing for our needs. And you're giving praise to God. And if you're not giving praise and thanks to God, let's give praise and thanks to God. And as you're giving, God is providing for our needs, but he's witnessing it all. And he owns all of the praise and he owns all the glory and his heart is full of joy and his heart is full of happiness. And because he's gracious and because he's good, as we manage our lives and our finances obediently, he invites us to share in the joy. He invites us to share in the, the happiness. And at the very center of it all, it's why the apostle Paul was able to say in verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And who's that indescribable gift for us? It's God's own son. It's Jesus. See, what God does is he's the first giver and he selflessly, selflessly gave himself with Jesus. And so all of our giving is really just a grateful response to him. Jesus came to set you free. 
to set you free, that there is nothing in your life that should have a hold over you, nothing but God and but God alone. And I'm just wondering if someone needs to be set free from something in your life today. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray together? Again, I want to just ask you that question. Is there something in your life right now, something other than God that has a grip or has a hold over you? Maybe just offer that up to God right now. Maybe just reach out to him and, and say, I, I don't want to be in bondage to anything but you. He sent his son, his indescribable gift to set us free. And some of you need to receive that today. Some of you need to seek his help today with that. And, and maybe for you right now that's in the area of finances, it has everything to do with your possessions. And maybe you look at your life right now and you just recognize there's not enough. Or maybe you just don't know how to take this step of faith to trust him even more. We just pray and ask the Lord to set you free today. Say, God, we don't want anything but you to reign over our lives. We want to follow you completely and wholeheartedly. Let's reach out to Jesus today and ask him to set us free, to forgive us, to free us so that we can live more fully for him. Father, we come before you right now. Set us free today in Jesus' name. Amen. As you continue praying and just in reflection, the band's gonna sing this song over you. You're welcome to sing it along, but uh, let's continue to make it our prayer and our response to, to him today.